Now the lesson there is don't mess with Mexican women. That's the lesson. But, especially a Mexican mom. But anyway. Listen, there's going to be conflict in every home. Conflict cannot be avoided. You put two people together, there's going to be some level of conflict. And, and the greatest conflict in probably the world tends to be marriage. The one you married, the one you chose to, and the reason that so many homes are scary, the reason that so many people don't want to have a home, the reason so many people don't want to go home, is because of the dysfunctional marriage that's at the center of so many homes. Now, we make jokes about home, excuse me, about marriage, and I like jokes about marriage. This is one of my favorite ones. I've done this at weddings. It never goes over well, but <laughs> attending a wedding for the first time, a little girl whispered to her mother, why is the bride dressed in white? Because white is the color of happiness, the mother said, and today is the happiest day of her life. The little girl thought about it for a moment, then leaned over to her mom and said this, then why is the groom wearing black? <laughs> No one ever laughs at that but me. But anyways, <laughs> you know what? In the end, nothing changes the direction of your adult life more than the person you marry. So if you're taking notes, let's start off with this thought. A Christian marriage is not immune from conflict. Christian marriages, a Christian relationship, and we're talking about this issue of conflict. We talked about racial conflict before. Next week, we're going to talk about conflict with church members. Conflict is not avoidable. You're not immune from it just because you're a Christian, but all conflict in the end can honor God because of it. Your marriage, even with the conflict, and to be honest with you, the thing that will probably honor God the most is how you deal with conflict. Anybody can stay married when it's happy and good times and all the bills are being paid. But when somebody stays till death do us part and things are difficult and they're hard and you ask them why and they say the only reason we're still together is because of Jesus. That type of conflict brings honor and glory to God. Say amen. amen. There's some henpecked husbands. Look, it's okay to have conflict in marriage. It's okay to have conflict in a relationship. But you need to learn to fight fairly. You need to learn to fight with a purpose. You need to learn to fight with rules. There's certain things you don't say. And if it's about his mother, keep your mouth shut. Right? Yeah. There you go. Um, I've had people tell me, oh, we've been married for 40 years and we never fight. Liar. You're either a liar or your marriage is so boring. How boring could that be that you're perfectly alike and you never, like, would you marry your brother? How boring is that? But listen, as we start to talk about marriage, let me just start this. This is why it's so important. Marriage illustrates the union of Jesus and the believers. It illustrates the union between Jesus and the believers. Listen, every time I do a wedding, I always point this out, that uh, the bride in her spotless white dress represents the person who has accepted Christ as their personal Savior. They are spotless before Jesus. They are sinless before Jesus. They represent the church. They represent the kingdom of God. They represent everybody who's ever been saved, who knows Christ as their personal Savior. And the groom represents Jesus. We're going to see this today. He represents Jesus. And marriage is a perfect example of what salvation is. Jesus did this. He said, I do to every individual on the planet. And he said, I do to you by coming to the earth, being born of a virgin, 33 sinless years, dying on a cruel Roman cross, conquering the grave three days later, and saying, I on the cross will pay for your sin. I've said I do to you. Will you say I do back to me? 
And just like marriage, and so I don't remember everything that happened in my marriage or to my wedding. I don't remember anything that happened in my marriage, but I don't remember very few things that happened in my, my, my wedding. We were talking today about one of the things Brother Garters, my wife's pastor, did after we uh, said I do is we were in the back and stuff. And he, my best man came running back there and said, Brother Garter wants your shoes. And Sandra, he took her shoes off and uh, he got up in front of the church and said, this young couple's going to the ministry, so we're going to take up an offering. He passed her shoes. Uh, we got like 200 bucks on it. If I had known that, I would have had her wear boots. These stupid little slippers. But marriage represents the union between Jesus and the church, and there's going to be conflict in it. But listen, here's the answer. And I don't say this tritely, this isn't just churchy words. The answer for conflict between you and another believer, the answer between conflict between racial divisions, the answer between conflict and all marriage, the answer is Jesus. There's going to be a conflict in your marriage, racial things. And maybe part of the reason is that somebody isn't saved. Maybe part of the reason the conflict keeps going because someone hasn't made Jesus the Lord of their life. Or someone is involved in sin. Sir, if you're here today, I'm going to really talk to you gentlemen, you husbands about this. Sir, your prayers are not being heard because of your marriage. Do you understand the way you treat your wife? God does not hear your prayers. If you're here, sir, and you're praying for me and you're not treating your wife right, please don't. Because God is not hearing your prayers. 1 Peter 3, 7 says this, Likewise, his husbands... Dwell with them according to knowledge, give honor unto the wife as unto a weaker vessel that's physically weak, that's a no-brainer, and as being heirs together in the grace of God. Why? That your prayers be not hindered. Your prayers are being stopped because of the way you treat your wife. Think about that, sir. So today we're going to look at three myths. Three myths about conflict in marriage. Number one. Number one myth of conflict in marriage, these aren't necessarily important, but I think they are. Number one, the love myth. The love myth. Um, right, this goes against our American, you know, Julia Roberts romantic comedy movie type thing, right? You do not have to be in love to have a happy marriage. You don't. In fact, do you realize that the marriages that have the greatest success are arranged? Oftentimes, the couples don't meet each other until the day they say they do. Uh, I've asked young people before, and they'll come in, like, oh, we want to get married. Why do you want to get married? Because we're in love. That's the worst answer you could possibly give. I love the Pittsburgh Steelers. What a horrible marriage that would be. <laughs> I'd fire their coach. But anyways, <laughs> let me just say this about this. You say, well, I'm not in love with the person I'm married to, so I'm going to get a divorce. You don't need to be in love to have a happy marriage. Love is a choice. You can choose to love anyone on this planet. You know what? Love is the byproduct of a healthy relationship. Love is not the seed. Love does not create healthy relationships. It's just one of the byproducts that comes off of a healthy relationship. But, sir, love starts with the man. I guess that's God's cruelest joke, isn't it? Look at verse 25 of Ephesians 5. Husbands, put up with, endure. No, no. Husbands, love your wives. How do I love her? Even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Skip down to verse 28, gentlemen. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. 
You think about your body a lot, don't you? You may not think about its appearance, but you think about food, that's your body. You think about comfort, that's your body. You think about enjoyment and pleasure, that's your body. You think about your body a lot. And so God says, how you think about your body, this is how I want you to think about your wife. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever hateth his own flesh, but what does he do? He nourishes his flesh. He feeds his flesh. He cherishes his flesh. He takes care of his flesh. Even as the Lord, the church. We have polluted love. We have turned love into a four-letter word. That's think, think about it. Come on. I am not lowering my comedy. You have to come up, all right? Read a book sometimes. Anyways. There are three types of love. I want to demonstrate this. Three types of love that, are, that, that you could talk about. Number one, the first is eros. Eros is a romantic love. It's where we get the word erotic from. This word is never mentioned in the Bible. It's not that it's a bad word. Uh, there should be some romance between you and your husband and you and your wife. Romance is good. Everyone say amen. amen. <laughs> but in these words, we're going to see that in the original language, there's an idea, there's a word picture that takes place. The word eros basically means two people face to face, meaning it's physical love, it's romantic. I'm looking at you. I think you're beautiful. I think you're amazing. This implies a physical intimacy, and that's where erotic comes from. It implies kissing. It implies touching. It implies loving one another. It implies looking at somebody and thinking, you are amazing. I told my wife this this week, and even it, was a, it didn't have anything to do with my message, so don't think I'm, I'm not lying. And I said, you are more beautiful now than when I met you. And she was like, oh, you're just... And I said, no, I think you're more beautiful now than when I met you. I've had a man, I've had men say things to me like, well, my wife, you know, she doesn't look like when we first got married. She's gained weight. She's got like, she's given birth to multiple kids. And I always say the same thing to him. Have you looked in the mirror? You're disgusting. <laughs> you don't even have hair anymore. Look at your gut. You're talking to your wife about gaining weight. You could drop 100 pounds and no one would notice what is wrong with you. Have you even showered this month? I'm like, come on. <laughs> Listen. Love has nothing to do with looks. Amen? If you think love, you know what You know what has to do with looks? Lust has things to do with looks. It has things to do with looks. Yes, yes, I got it right. This woman over here, greatest preacher I ever had, never stepped foot in the pulpit, and everything. So we're driving to Awana on a, a, a night, you know, in our 72 Oldsmobile. Still remember this. Driving to Awana, and Flipping around. Only AM stations. Can you imagine that? Only a No salary. And this old country song came on, and we just had it said, uh, uh, Love comes and goes just like the wind and stuff. And this woman reached over and, with the tenacity of a Southern Baptist preacher, turned it off and said, Love doesn't come and go like the wind. Lust comes and goes like the wind. Never forgot. Good preaching. That's arrows. It's okay to have arrows in your marriage. But if your marriage is only about eros, it will fail. Number two type of word is philo. And it means a brotherly love. And the idea here 
It, it's where we get the word friendship, the word Philadelphia, city of brotherly love, philanthropic, charity work. The idea here is not that you two are looking together, but that you two are looking at the same thing at the same time. You're looking in the same direction. It means this, you have something in common. You have interests. You have things that put you together. It has often been said that opposites attract. No, they don't. Opposites divorce. And you need this type of love. This is a friendship love. Can I just challenge you today? Your best friend needs to be your spouse. If your best friend isn't your spouse, you're doing something wrong. You understand? I understand that your wife doesn't want to go deer hunting with you and stuff like that. I get that. I don't want to go deer hunting with you. What a waste of day. But anyway, what a horrible thing. If I actually had, I just sit there, don't get to say anything, do anything. It's like 20 below zero. And if I actually do kill the deer, I got to go cut the deer open and carry it back. How is this fun? <laughs> Anyways, listen, marriage is tough. And the thing that you should be looking together in friendship and united together needs to be Jesus. And there's the last word. And this word I was always given to God. It's how God loves us. It's agape. And agape is a giving love. Uh, this is a love that requires nothing in return. And it's the idea that it's not two people looking together. It's not two people looking at something that they have a common interest. It's one person looking at another and the other not looking at it. This is the type of love of, a, of a, a parent and a baby. Babies are so selfish. Babies are liars. Tell me there's no sin nature at birth. Babies are liars. They, you, they just start crying and you go, are they wet? No, do they need to be fed? No, they're just, they just want to be attention and stuff. They're liars, they're little, anyways. I've got enough of them in my home, I can tell you about them. But anyway, <laughs> it's the concept of a mother looking at a child who can do nothing in return for them, who can give them nothing back. This is how God loves us. He loves us unconditionally. He loves, listen, you say, well, I don't love God. Well, God still loves you. Well, I don't care anything about God. Well, God still cares about you. God has an unconditional love that gives and gives and expects nothing in return. This type of love is the ultimate goal for every marriage. See, this is, this is your problem right here. You love your husband, and if you come into me for marriage counseling, this is what you'll say. I do this, this, and this, and he doesn't do this, this, and this. That is not a copy. Sir, you'll come in and say, I do this, this, and this for my wife, and she doesn't do this, 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 and return. That is not a copy. That's a contract. And you know, most marriages can go about 20 years on a contract, eventually it falls apart. You have contracts with your cell phone company, you don't have a contract with your wife. The agape type of love is this. I love my wife, I love my husband, even if I get nothing in return because I made a commitment to them. I said, till death do us part. This is some great marriage advice for you. Look, <clears throat> sir, <clears throat> change your marriage. You act like the only love that your wife can get from God is from you. It's not, it's not true. But you just act like that. That the only way your wife can experience the love of God comes from you. And how you treat her. You're the only pipeline. You act that. It's, it's not true. But you act that way. And you turn loving your wife into worship. Now I'm going to worship Jesus through loving my wife. Ma'am. What your husband needs is for you to say nice things to him and encourage him and build up his ego. 
You talk to him and lift him up for your words like the only positive thing on this planet, the only thing he will ever hear from God comes from your lips. And you watch how your marriage changes. You know what that is? That's a godly love. You take loving your spouse, your husband, your wife, and you turn it into worship. I'm not loving you because I have to. I'm not loving you because you'll take half my stuff. I'm not loving you because you'll leave and leave me with the kids, right? Sometimes that's a good reason to stay married, right? You'll get all seven kids. But anyway, I'm loving you because how I love you is worship towards Jesus Christ. And if you don't play and come back into me, that's not my problem. This is not God's problem. You see what I've done here? I've made my marriage about worshiping Jesus. And now it's Jesus' problem to fix it. It's his problem to get them to respond in return. You say, well, Pastor Stephen, I've told this to you, uh, young husbands are the worst and stuff. Some of you have been through that, right? And I had this one young husband who was telling all things about his wife and this. I said, J just shut up. I said, just shut up. Your problem is you keep doing these things and expecting her to return things and stuff. You need to stop that. That is pagan. That is not of God. You need to love her like you're loving Jesus. And you need to do it and expect nothing in return. You sacrifice for her. You give to her. You do it. And he said, well, what if she doesn't do it back? You know what that is? That's called faith. And if she doesn't do it anything back to you and doesn't return it back, then you turn that sacrifice into praise to Jesus. And you take everything about your marriage and you make it Jesus-focused and you watch Jesus change your marriage. And he walked away and said, I can't do that. I said, that's your problem. Your problem isn't that, you know, listen, you don't have a marriage problem. You have a Jesus problem. You don't have enough faith that Jesus can change your marriage. See, when conflict comes in any relationship, don't use love for the resolution of it. Use loving Jesus together to be the resolution of it. The conflict number, conflict myth number two, the 50-50 myth. Some will say, your marriage is 50-50. Wrong. Divorce is 50-50, if you get a good lawyer. A little girl recently returned home from school where she had heard the story of Snow White for the first time. With great animation, she recounted the story, finally asked her mom if she knew how it ended. The mother said, of course, Snow White and the prince lived happily ever after. The little girl responded, no, they didn't. They got married. Oh, no. <laughs> Someone once said, love is blind and marriage is the eye opener. <laughs> Look, for all Christians, marriage, racial, church member, mother <coughs> for all Christians, the conflict answer is right here in verse 21. Look at this. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. No one can hate a submitter. No one can be angry and detest a submitter. See, the word submit has a lot of meanings. In the original language, it's hypotasio. Hypo, hypotasio. And it means to submit to someone else. Submit to someone else other than yourself. The practical idea is that it being 100% committed. That's what submitted means. I'm 100% committed. Now notice this. Who in this verse, in verse 21, is supposed to do all of this submitting? Well, Paul is talking to all of us, each one of us. Paul, in just a few verses, is going to give marriage advice 
But listen how he says we need to submit to each other. You need to submit to fellow church members. You need to submit to other people. You need to submit to your husband. You need to submit to your wife. You need to be all in. Why? How do I submit? What is the whole point of it? Well, the end of it says this, as unto the Lord. You see, conflict, this makes it a Jesus thing. Listen, if you're taking notes, let me just start off this. A Christian is commanded to only marry Christians. Amen? Amen. Yeah. You say, well, maybe he'll get saved. No. You say, well, I'm saved and I'm, learned, I'm serving Jesus, but he's not, so I should divorce him. No, 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 no. So how do I know it's the right person to be married to? Are you married? Yes, that's the right person. You let God start working in him. You let God start working in him. <laughs> 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, Be not only the yoke together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness. One of the most difficult things you will ever do is to be married to somebody who is not a believer in Jesus Christ. They will not understand you, they will not admit you, because they are living a different world, and they are living a different moral setting. See, you marry who you date. Unless my law passes where fathers get to pick their daughter's husbands, <laughs> people you date today are the people you're going to marry in the future. Amen? Yeah. Um, now, after saying both of you should submit in the previous verse, that's what Paul was saying. Sir, verse 22 is the most misquoted verse. Because verse 21, Paul said we should all submit to each other. Now he sort of reminds the woman of some things. You'll notice that Paul never really tells the women to love their husbands. Love comes easy for women. And you'll notice Paul never has to tell the men to learn to submit to other people. When you're a boy, when you're a man, you learn really quick there's a pecking order. Uh, you get punched in the face once in fifth grade and you learn to keep your mouth shut, all right? Submitting is not very difficult for a man. But for a woman, it can be a very difficult thing to do. Verse 22, wives, submit. Go 100% in. Yourselves unto your husbands. How? As unto the Lord. Men share their heart outside of marriage. Be careful of it, sir. Don't make golf more important than your wife. Don't make sports more important than your wife. Don't make hunting more important. Don't make your job more important than your wife. Men share their heart outside of their marriage. Don't they, ladies? Amen? Okay. You know what? You didn't help me? Now I'm going to preach against you. Ladies share their respect outside of their marriage. Help me out, gentlemen. Amen? Listen, three things a wife should know about her husband. Or excuse me, four things. I want you to say four things a wife should know about her husband. Number one, he is what he is. On a certain level, don't try and change it. I'm not talking about spiritual. I'm not talking about addictions. I'm not talking about the fact that he does heroin or drugs. Right? No, that's not what I'm talking about. He is what he is. If you marry a country boy, he is going to stay a country boy. Don't try to turn him into a city slicker. Amen, gentlemen? He is what he is. You say, I, I just can't get him to pick up his socks. His mother couldn't get him. You're not going to get him. He is what he is on a certain level. Number two, some of you ladies need to know this. He's not a woman. Oh, that seems so obvious, Pastor. But because he's not a woman, he thinks differently. He is much more simpler in his entire process than you. Are you asking woman to start listing off all the characteristics she wants in a husband, in the end, you most of the time look at it and think, these are characteristics of a woman. 
Can I just say this on behalf of every man in your life who knows and loves you? We don't know what you're thinking. We haven't figured it out at this point, and we never will. Well, he should know. You should have married a woman. Because men don't know a thing about women. I have four sisters, a wonderful mom. I've got a wife. I've got an untold number of daughters. I've been around women my whole life. And you know what I know? Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> You're sitting there going, he should know this. No, he won't. He won't pick up on your cues. You're sitting there watching a movie. You're thinking, I wonder what he's thinking. You're contemplating your relationship and all this other stuff. You know what he's doing? Nothing. He's sitting there doing nothing. That's it. Stop trying to make him a woman. He's a man. They're gross, disgusting, but they are what they are. Amen. My husband's not gross. Well, he isn't me, lady. I've never met a good-looking man. Right. You feel better? Gentlemen, hey, back. That's right. Leave him alone. He's not going to figure it out. But he should know what I want for birthday and Christmas. No. No, he won't. He won't know a thing that you're thinking about or what you want. You, my wife does this all the time. Like Christmas or well, didn't you get my hints? No, those were hints. I wasn't even listening. <laughs> Number three, ladies, you want to get everything you want from your husband? Everything, everything you want on the planet from him. Know this: he is proud. He is proud. You kill his pride, you embarrass him, and it's over. He will shut down on you. He will never open up to you. You will never get that intimacy you're looking at. He will shut down as quick as possible. Men are so easy to manipulate. And some of you are thinking, I'm thinking like physical appearance. No. You know what manipulates? The key to a man's heart is not his stomach. It's his ego. You lift your husband up with your words. You say, well, he's not good at anything. All he does is come home and sit down on the couch and watch TV. And then you, you know what you tell him? Sweetheart, I am so thankful because you are our emergency resource in case gravity ceases to exist. If gravity ceases to exist, I know one thing that that couch is not going to move. Thank you, sweetheart. He changes the batteries and the remotes. Oh, nobody can put these in better than you. You say, well, pastor, that's... I'm not telling you as a man, nothing lifts a man up more than the positive words from the woman he loves. You want to cut him down? You know what you're doing? You're just cutting down your own future. Men are easy to direct. Men are easy to manipulate. He is proud. Number three, he wants your respect before your love. He wants your respect. Number one thing a man wants in every woman he loves is to give her respect. Ladies, you can get everything you want out of your relationship if you just follow those basic principles. Men get worth from what they do. Ladies get worth from their relationships. <clears throat> Lay down your arms and quit fighting. Stop the conflict by going 100% in on your marriage. Say, but he's wrong. You let God correct him. <coughs> you say, well, my mother says, God, you were supposed to leave your mom and dad and become one with the other person. Your mom's no longer the authority of your life. 
If you're here and your husband's not saved, put down 1 Peter 3, 1 through 4. 1 Peter 3, 1 through 4. Peter tells a wife that her husband's not a believer how to act and everything. You know what she basically says in a nutshell is basically he's saying this. He's saying you just love him and eventually the grace of God will step in. Amen. You say, how, you say, how am I supposed to react? How am I supposed to go all in? Sir, look at verse 23. This is how you go all in. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And he is the savior of the body. You know what that means? Sir, you are supposed to lead your home spiritually. You are the spiritual leader of your home. Sir, you are supposed to be the head of your home. And sir, you are supposed to protect your home. I, I saw this little clip, and this is exactly what every man should be doing uh, for his wife and for his family. Uh, this is one of these rallies, and this Antifa guy is going to punch the street preacher in the face. And this other guy, watch what this other guy does. It's only about 15 seconds long. Watch, he turns, sucker punches him. He's about to watch us. And this other guy is a street preacher, he's an MMA fighter. He stepped in, he grabbed that thing, and look at it, he goes, no, no. <laughs> Sir, you know what you're supposed to do? That's supposed to be you. Something comes into your life that's going to change it, something that's going to be difficult. Now you step in and you take the blow. That's what Jesus did for us on the cross, isn't it? You step in and you do it. And it's amazing to me. How many of you men would step in front of a bullet for your wife, but you won't step in front of your mother? For your wife. You won't deal with any of the other conflicts. You won't be her protector. You give in and you let her have to go through all these things alone. Lead your life, lead, you, lead the, one, the woman you love like Jesus leads us. He never leaves us, He's always giving. That's the danger of pornography. That's the danger of drinking materialism because you become a taker and not a giver. Amen. Conflict in homes is un unavoidable. But no matter what changes, listen, sir, you honor God. You honor God by taking care of that woman. And you lead her and you protect her no matter what happens. And you'll be surprised how quickly you'll find a woman who will go 100% in with a man like that. And lastly, number three, the isolation now. This means that it's our marriage and it doesn't really affect anyone. Really? You have kids? But ultimately, your marriage represents Jesus and the church. It represents Jesus and it's a living testimony. The he here in verse 26 and 27 is not just the husband, it's Jesus. And the she is also the church. So watch this in verse 26. That he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. That he might present it to himself a glorious church. Not having spot or wrinkle or having any such. That it should be a holy without blemish. Let me just give you two thoughts as I end here today. Your marriage is a testimony to Jesus. He said, well, my marriage isn't perfect. The fact that you have stayed married for 30 years in an imperfect marriage with a struggle, but you've turned your marriage into worship to Jesus, that is the greatest testimony that you could ask for. Your response to conflict is response to your faith in Jesus. Someone wrote, conflict is natural, normal, neutral, and sometimes even delightful. It can turn into pain or disastrous ends, but it doesn't need to. Conflict is neither good nor bad, right or wrong. Conflict simply is how we view, approach, and work through our differences does to a large extent determine our whole life and pattern and our faith in the God we trust in. So when we have conflict, 
How does Jesus treat us when we're in conflict with him? <clears throat> Who is the conflict really about in any relationship that's going through this? How would submitting, sir, ma'am, how would submitting 100% all in change the conflict with my spouse? Is the person I want to marry going to honor God? See, the answer is Jesus. The answer in marriage conflict, the answer in racial conflict, the answer with a church member, the answer with another brother and sister in Christ, the answer in conflict is Jesus. I want to end with this little video. This is what we're supposed to be with each other. Now listen, I'm going to talk next week about conflict with other people. Some people you need to keep out of your life because they're dangerous. Some people do it. It takes two to have a conflict. Just because you don't want to be around somebody doesn't mean you're in conflict. Just because someone's dangerous and you don't bring them in your life, just because somebody's always manipulating you, putting you down, and you decide to, oh, you know, I'm not going to see that person anymore. It doesn't necessarily mean you're in conflict. But this is how we're supposed to treat each other as believers, as man and wife, as church members. Check out this little boy and how he chops his little girl, his sister. She won't lift me up and help me. By faith. You just do it anyways. You don't do it expecting anything in return. How different would so much of our conflicts that we have with people be if we just realize that most of those people yelling and screaming, most of them are hurt. People needing a helping hand. People needing more direction. The conflict. It's your marriage. It either honors Jesus or it doesn't. Can you bow your head and close your eyes?